Tonight on Tuesday, Today, we're going to be discussing a prophecy alert. The Russia-Iran-Turkey alliance is expanding. It's being fulfilled, I believe, in fulfillment of Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39. We're also going to be discussing the biblical time frame for the last days. 7,000 years equals seven days. We'll be talking about that. We'll be talking about also what's going on in Israel right now with the Third Temple. A lot of Bible prophecy coming to pass right now on Truth Today. Well, thank you for joining us tonight here on Truth Today. Uh, this is Pastor Sharam Hadian with Truth and Love Ministry. We're so glad you can be with us tonight and joining us live. Uh, we're in the studio tonight live. Um, this is not pre-recorded. We're actually here live right now, 8 o'clock or 8.09 Eastern Time. Uh, wanna, uh, we have a lot to cover tonight, a lot of Bible prophecy to cover tonight. Um, it, it's going to be a lot to unpack, so I pray that you will buckle up and get your Bibles out. If you have your Bibles with you tonight, we're going to be looking at a lot of different things, um, and we're going to be talking about the timing of the last days and the timing of the fall. We are headed into the fall. We're headed into the fall feasts. Uh, what are the significance of the fall feasts in, in regards to Bible prophecy? What are the significance of the fall feasts uh, in regards to the rapture, in regards to the second coming of Jesus? All those elements we're going to talk about. But uh, first, I want to just uh, remind you again, visit our Rumble page and our website. Our Rumble page is rumble.com slash Hadian, rumble.com slash Hadian. Please push the follow button. If you've not followed us, push the follow button so you can be subscribed to our page and you can also like it. And then, of course, our ministry website, tillministry.com slash, or tillministry.com, T-I-L-ministry.com is our website. Sign up for our email newsletter. Oh, by the way, uh, folks, check out our events calendar because next, let's see, not next week, but the week after that, I am going to be in three states. I'm going to be in South Dakota. Uh, I'm going to be for three events. I'm going to be in um, Minnesota for three events, and then I'm going to be in Wisconsin for two events. So it's going to be a busy, busy eight days. Check out our events calendar at the end of September. Uh, if you are in Rapid City, South Dakota, in Minnesota, or in western Wisconsin, please check it out. We'd love to have you come and join us. And of course, as, as always, if you want us to come and speak into your area, please contact us. We'd love to connect with you and get that set up. I want to talk tonight about, before I get into the specifics of Bible prophecy, of course, we always start in the Word of God. So again, I pray you have your Bibles with you, right? Uh, get, get, get your Bibles out. Have the Word of God ready because that's where we start. We always start in the Word. The Word is our foundation. The Word is our rock. And Jesus, of course, is the Word. But I want to talk about prophecy because I was, I was at a, a prayer breakfast this morning or, or at a men's breakfast this morning. I was, I was teaching and um, uh, I could tell from the room and, and, and kind of the, the, the glossed over eyes as I was talking about Bible prophecy that so many Christians do not know Bible prophecy. Folks, a third of the Bible is prophecy. We know that there were over 300 prophecies that were written about the coming of the Messiah in the Old Testament fulfilled, every single one fulfilled in the life of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. Bible prophecy was key to the people of Israel waiting in anticipation for the first coming of the Messiah. Of course, we know that sadly, many of the Jewish people reject that Jesus or Yeshua is the Messiah, but we know it to be true 
The Bible has proven that in Jesus' life, death, burial, resurrection, testimony has proven that. Now for us today, we are waiting for the second coming. We are waiting for the, for the millennial kingdom. We are waiting for his return and his kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. So we ought to be paying, to Bible, paying attention to Bible prophecy. And yet, though one-third of the church, or one-third of the Bible is Bible prophecy, only 2%, that's, you heard me right, only 2% of churches teach Bible prophecy. Very few pastors, very few churches, and there can be multiple reasons, everything from they're intimidated by it to they don't want to be doom and gloom, they claim doom and gloom, or they don't want to be negative, um, and so they just don't talk about it. Or their eschatology and their doctrine is different. Instead of being in a pre-millennial uh, dispensational camp, they are in a post-millennial or amillennial camp, and so therefore they won't talk about, particularly post-millennial, that teaches that we are in the kingdom now. This is the thousand-year reign, or this is the millennial, millennial reign. We are supposed to be making the world now the kingdom of God. And that's, to me, just a disconnect from reality and from solid doctrine uh, that, uh, that teaches that the days will wax more evil. This is Satan's kingdom right now. This is not the kingdom of God on earth. This is Satan's kingdom. He's the prince of the air. We don't see the world becoming more and more Christianized and more and more righteous. We see the world becoming less and less righteous and more and more antagonistic towards the Bible, antagonistic towards the gospel. In Revelation chapter 1, it says these words in verse 3. It says, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. Because one of the things we're going to talk about tonight is the time frame of the Bible. You see, when we talk about the last days, the last days didn't start last week or last month or you know, a year ago or, or, or 50 years ago. The last days started with the dispensation of the church. At the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the introduction of Pentecost, or what we know as Shavuot, I'll talk about that later, the seven feasts of the Lord. When that happens, folks, that, that was the beginning of the last days. That was the starting moment of the dispensation of the church. And then the, 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 the time frame left for the uh, dispensation into Israel. So I'm going I'm to show you some images tonight that I think you'll find interesting uh, in regards to maybe how to encapsulate the timing and why we believe that we are now gearing up and getting very, 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 very close to the return of the Lord and to the millennial literal. This ministry believes in the literal thousand-year reign of Jesus. It has not come yet. That's why we are premillennialism. We believe in premillennial or premillennialism. And we believe in different dispensations, meaning that the dispensation that is given to the church for the, for, the, for the time frame of the church age is different from the dispensation that is for Israel. God has a separate covenant that is an outstanding covenant going all the way back to the Abrahamic covenant with the nation of Israel or with the Jewish people. I'm not talking about 
the nation of Israel as in the current political environment in Israel or the current Israeli government. I'm talking about a covenant and a promise that is a unilateral, unconditional promise. God, when he made the Abrahamic covenant, it was unilateral, meaning it was a one-way covenant. It was not conditional like the Mosaic covenant with Moses. It was unilateral. It was one way and it was unconditional. There were no conditions put on the covenant that God made with Abraham and his seed and the blessings of a nation and the blessings of an offspring. We know the land covenant has not yet been fulfilled. The the seed covenant, of course, has been fulfilled in that the seed was the Messiah, was the coming of the Messiah, was the coming of the Savior of the world, of the Christ. So, blessed is he again who reads and, and, and those who hear. So you read, you hear, and then you keep those things which are written in this book, in the Revelation, the Apocalypto, the unveiling of these matters. Then in Revelation 19, we're actually told this. This is very interesting. Because it is talking about then in verse 9, the preparation for the marriage supper of the Lamb, which is yet to come. Then he said to me, Right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet. This is talking about that uh, the, John the Revelator is now having this interaction. The angel of the Lord uh, has, has come to reveal this to him. John falls at the feet of the angel, but he said to me, this angel, see that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. So this is an angel. This is not the Lord himself. And then um, watch this. Worship God. Listen, worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So prophecy isn't just about last days. Prophecy is the revelation, the unveiling of who Jesus is. And Jesus is the word and the word encompasses prophecy. So we should not ignore parts of the word. We should encompass prophecy in our daily teachings and in our daily walk, because Jesus is the word and Jesus and the revelation of Jesus is prophecy. So everything we're talking about in the last days is preparing for the time when the world will see, every eye will see, every tongue will confess, every knee will bow upon the coming of the Lord on the clouds. Every person will see the revelation of Jesus eventually but now, right now, is the time that we have to proclaim that revelation, proclaim the gospel, and proclaim these end times. The days are near. This is the season. This is the, the, the fig tree. This is the blossoming. The summer is here upon us. Um, and so I want to uh, share, let's see, one more verse I want to share here. Um, uh, where is this here? Give me just one second. Um, right here. Okay, so this is talking about uh, the preparation of, um, again, the, the, the end times, right? The end times coming. And the, the aspect that there is going to be a resurrection, 
the, the, that there were those in the early church that were denying the literal resurrection. Uh, the other reason why I believe that prophecy is so important, folks, is because, again, and maybe this kind of goes into what I just said, prophecy is intertwined. It's intertwined with the gospel. Because to, 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 to prophesy about Jesus, you can't stop at, oh, he came, he lived a sinless life, uh, he died for our sins, he was buried, and he was raised again, and that's it. No, because he ascended, right? So part of the gospel presentation is he ascended, he's seated at the right hand of the Father, and then he's going to descend and return first for his bride and what I believe to be the rapture, the, the, the getting caught up or taking up of the bride. And then he will be what? He then will return physically upon the earth and make the earth his footstool. That's what the scripture tells us. And then he will rule and reign the nations. That's what he's going to do. And so we have to incorporate in the preaching of the gospel the entirety of the good news. The entirety of the good news isn't just that he died for my sins, is that he's returning to rule, to reign. And those who are um, uh, dead will be risen. They will come to life and those who are not dead will be caught up. So I want to turn now to a part of prophecy that I want to give you a quick update on. Tonight we titled the show uh, Iran and Russia Alliance Growing because this is a key uh, component of, of, of end time Bible prophecy. It's a key component of witnessing and, and giving clue because remember um, the prophetic center point of God's timetable. Now, unless you are not dispensational, unless you're in the post-millennial camp, or maybe to some extent in the ah-millennial camp, but if you're certainly in the post-millennial camp, you, you have disregarded Israel, you believe all these prophecies have been fulfilled, you are either a partial preterist or a full preterist, and you believe that Israel's uh, being in the nation has nothing to do with God's promises and God's timing. Again, for this ministry, I, I respectfully and vehemently disagree with that stance. I do not believe that that's the proper biblical stance of eschatology and end times. Um, so therefore, uh, and I have good brothers in the Lord, good sisters in the Lord who, who believe that, and we do ministry together. This shouldn't preclude us from standing for righteousness and doing ministry together and proclaiming the gospel. However, I respectfully disagree that that's the proper biblical interpretation and so therefore, a premillennial dispensational view, again, is asserting that, there, that Israel, uh, God is not done with Israel, that there's a different dispensation for Israel than, than the church. Therefore, Israel and the return of Israel back into the land in fulfillment of Ezekiel 37, the dry bones prophecy, the first part of the prophecy has been fulfilled. Israel is back into the land. And now they are not yet in, in belief yet. They've not come back to life, meaning they are not yet believers in the Messiah, believers in the one true God through his son, Jesus Christ. But yet they're back in the land. The dry bones have come back to life. And now 
but, but breath is not in it yet. And Israel is central. And so therefore, the nations that conspire, in Ezekiel 38, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog. Now, Gog of the land of Magog, at the time of Ezekiel, if you look at the table of nations, is today, modern day Russia, uh, Western China, okay? So Russia, Ukraine, um, heading a little bit west, we uh, uh, Western China, okay? And then Magog is then Central Asia. Today we have Uzbekistan, Turkmenistan, Tajikistan, uh, Azerbaijan. Those nations are now Central Asia. That's where Magog, again, going back to the time of Ezekiel, that's where you find the region that was referred to as Magog. And then it goes on to say, it lists nine names that that are describing five nations. The Prince of Rosh, that's one. Meshach, that's two. Tubal, three. Prophesy against them, saying, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, the Prince of Rosh. Remember I said where most of Gog is? Modern-day Russia, Ukraine, to the little bit to the west, a little bit to the right where China is. Meshach and Tubal, I will turn you around, put hooks into your jaw, and lead you out with your army, horses and horsemen, all your splendidly clothed, a great company with bucklers and shields. Now remember, people ask me all the time, well, are they going to attack with horses and with, with, um, with, with, with uh, swords and with spears? No. God was giving Ezekiel a prophecy that he had to understand in his time frame. He, he understood armies, he understood weapons, he understood horses, the men, troops. If he saw modern-day tanks, if he saw modern-day submarines, modern-day airplanes, modern-day weaponry, there would have been no reference for Ezekiel to understand those things and what they meant. Right? It's like if someone shows you uh, some sort of a future futuristic airplane and you go, I don't know what that is. And, and it looks totally different than anything we have today. You would have no reference for it. But if I had a dream or if I had a vision or if I had a prophecy and I saw uh, a squadron of, of, of F-22 Raptors, uh, I would understand, okay, that represents a military force. And so now he is seeing this vision. And then it goes on to say, then it lists now other nations. Persia, Ethiopia, Libya are with them, all of them with shield and helmet. And then Gomer with all its troops, the house of Tagorma from the far north and all its troops, many people are with you. So there's nine entities left, but you will find that four of those entities are actually describing one nation alone. So we have Rosh, which most end-time dispensational Bible scholars believe is Russia, because that's, again, where Gog was. So we believe Russia is a part of this coalition. 
Then there is Meshach and Tubal, Gomer and Tagorma. Those four references are all references to the region of modern-day Turkey. Modern-day Turkey, maybe northern Iran, that region. And then it lists, uh, so that's two, right? So you have Russia and Turkey. Then it lists, lists Persia, okay? So today, where is Persia? Modern-day Iran. And Persia back then also included uh, Afghanistan, again, um, uh, potentially a part of uh, modern-day Pakistan, Persian. The Persian Empire, of course, was, was quite spread out. But, um, but anyway, you know it's Iran today. So that's three. Then Ethiopia. We know Ethiopia is Ethiopia. Four. And then Libya. Now, it says there in some translations, Kush and Put. And some say Sudan. So Ethiopia could also incorporate modern-day Sudan and then Libya because Ethiopia, Sudan, of course, are neighbors and then Libya. So we have five, potentially six, but five nations at, at most. But the main ones that are mentioned, again, Turkey, of course, is very important because mentioned four times. Rosh is the prince of, of uh, Gog, is the prince of Rosh. So that's important. And then Persia. So we know that there is, again, if you're joining us late, Tonight, we're going to be talking about Bible prophecy, prophecy alert, and this Iran and Russia and Turkey alliance that is growing. That's the theme of our show tonight, okay? The, the, uh, the Russia and Iran alliance that is growing and then throw Turkey in there as well. And we know that these nations are going to come, if you read the rest of Ezekiel 38, they're going to come against Israel. Now, you got to remember, before 1948, there was no Israel um, since the fall of Jerusalem in 586. So we know Ezekiel is a prophet predominantly to the kingdom of Judah, to the, the southern kingdom. Um, he is before, obviously, that fall because he goes into captivity. Uh, he's warning about captivity. They go into the 70-year captivity. They come back out. And 586, finally, uh, Jerusalem is, is, is already destroyed. Uh, 722 was when Israel was taken into captivity. Jerusalem is destroyed in 586. Now, they are in the 70-year captivity. Now, it's finalized. And now, the, per the, the Babylonians initially have the, the, the captives, Israelites as captives. Then at some point within the 70 years, the Persians overthrow the Babylonians. The Persians now are there coming out of the captivity. Uh, Persia, uh, God uses Persia to, to rebuild the temple, rebuild the city walls, uh, the decree of Cyrus, the decree of Darius, the decree of Cyrus. And now you have the foundation. But then from that point of 586, Israel was not a nation, did not have, have a capital. In 1948, United Nations makes, makes a decree that Israel is now a nation. Um, I'm not sure if that's the time frame that I agree with. I think that, in my opinion, the biblical time frame is not when the nations decide, but when God decides. And in my opinion, God, uh, the, the time frame is 1967. 1967, the, the, the Seven-Day War, when... when, when, when uh, uh, when, when Israel 
captured um, Jerusalem. Um, they, 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 they took hold. Uh, I'm sorry, I said seven-day war. I had number seven, the six-day war. So the six-day war, 1967, they captured Jerusalem. And now they have, for the first time, they have total control of the city of Jerusalem. So in my opinion, that's when the time clock starts. I know others disagree and say it's 1948. Bottom line, we're in this generation because Israel is key and these nations. So let me give you some headlines. Let me give you some headlines, Dry. Let's go to the Harbinger Daily one uh, about the prophetic precursors in the Middle East. Tell us something is coming. Can you go to that one first, please? And so um, this is, a, is, is from the Harbinger Daily. Now, listen, I know a lot of people respect Amir Safardi. Um, I, I respect Amir, um, but I do not agree with him 100% on this article, and I'll tell you why in a minute. I do believe, of course, that we are seeing the prophetic timetables. We are seeing uh, the nation of Russia, the nation of Iran, the nation of Turkey, their alliance is growing stronger and stronger and stronger. Remember, Iran controls uh, Lebanon. Lebanon is to the north of Israel. Iran, Russia, Turkey are all in Syria to the southeast of Israel. So Lebanon and Syria border Israel, okay, to the north, from the north. What did the prophecy of Ezekiel say? Those nations would come together and conspire and come from the north. Where is Russia? To the north of Israel. Uh, Israel. Where is um, China? I've always said that potentially uh, Magog, Magog uh, being those Central Asian nations, um, which are, by the way, all Islamic. Every one of those nations, by the way, that, I, that are mentioned are Islamic other than Russia, but Russia, close to 50% now of their troops are Islamic, are Muslims. And so uh, there is a growing Muslim population in Russia. Um, and uh, then you have, again, the Central Asian nations, uh, Kazakhstan, Turkmenistan, Uzbekistan, Tajikistan, um, Azerbaijan. These nations are all Islamic nations. Turkey, Islamic nation. Persia, Islamic nation. Sudan, Islamic nation. Libya, Islamic nation. Ethiopia, Islamic nation. They didn't used to be, but they are now. So you should be seeing a common thread, and this is why I disagree with Amir that Islam is not a part of this equation. So now, uh, these nations are going to invade, but God will, Ezekiel 39 tells us, God will destroy these invading nations with earthquakes, flooding, rain, hailstone, fire, and brimstone. This is Ezekiel 39, 18 to 22. Now, this is again where I disagree. This will, according to this article, this will bring an end to Russia and to the so-called, according to him, radical Islamic countries. I disagree. I believe Islam is absolutely central. Don't forget, uh, Drive, we have the image for our brand new DVD. Don't forget, One World Religion Rising. You gotta get a copy of our brand, brand, brand new DVD, One World Religion Rising. Because in it, I go through how I believe Islam is central to the uh, second beast of Revelation 13, the, the false religious, the false prophetic system. 
I believe Islam is central. Islam is absolutely working with the one world government, the one world economy. Uh, that's spelled out in our other DVD that is called The Great Pushback. If you have not gotten a copy of that one, do we have the image for that? Please dry out. The Great Pushback. Please order your copy now. not and share it. Invite people over to your house, watch it. Now, um, here's the interesting thing. In Ezekiel 38, it does not mention Saudi Arabia and it does not mention uh, some of the Arab, other Arab nations. There's a reason for that because it does, actually, I'll take that back. It does mention uh, those nations. Let, let me go with that real quick here. It does mention them, but it says this, that they are observers. In verse 13, Ezekiel 38, Sheba, Didan, the merchants of Tarshish, and all their young lions will say to you, have you come to take plunder? Have you gathered your army to take booty, to carry away silver and gold, and take livestock and goods, to take great plunder? So these nations are not involved in the invasion, but they're observers to the invasion. So that's an interesting dichotomy, because where is Sheba and Didan? Sheba and Didan is modern-day Saudi Arabia. Um, United Arab Emirates, uh, Qatar, Kuwait, that region, the Arab nations. So they are, not to say that they're not complicit, but to say that they are observers and not directly involved in the invasion. So it is interesting that we see all of this supposed diplomacy happening between Israel and Saudi Arabia, between Israel and the United Arab Emirates, between Israel and uh, Qatar uh, and Kuwait. So it's interesting, uh, but, but don't lose sight that those are still Islamic nations. And Islam is dead set against Israel. Islam is the most anti-Semitic ideology on the face of the planet, far greater than white supremacists, but quote-unquote, far greater than neo-Nazis, far greater, the greatest anti-Semitism comes out of the Quran. It comes out of Islamic law, the reliance of the traveler or Islamic sources. It comes out of uh, the traditions of the prophet of Islam, and they are gearing up. There is this alliance. Um, let me go to another headline. Uh, Drya, can we bring this headline up from Harbinger also? Israel, Israel Mossad chief. If you have that one ready. Um, Israel Mossad chief uh, threatens the highest echelon of the Iranian leadership warns of growing Russia-Iran military alliance. This is David Barnea, the head of Mossad. That's like the CIA, right, of Israel, sent a stark warning to Iran's top leaders at a counterterrorism conference in Herzliya, Israel, on Sunday. Uh, he said, number one, beginning of this year, the Mossad has broken up no less than 27 Iranian terror plots against Israel and Jews around the world. Number two, he levied what I consider to be a direct threat at the Iranian regime, specifically... Uh, what he called the highest echelon. Number three, he voiced great concern about growing military alliance between these two regimes. 
Now, this is very interesting because um, these terror plots were broken up in Greece, Cyprus, Turkey, Azerbaijan. Remember I mentioned Azerbaijan? And um, here's what he said. Iran continues to pursue terror under the cover of proxy teams. And luckily for the Iranians, their plots have been foiled. I would like to take advantage of this podium to state that any harm done to any Israeli or Jew in any way whatsoever, and I mean any way whatsoever, via proxy or Iranian alike, will elicit a response against the Iranians who dispatch the terrorists and the policymakers who authorize the terror units to carry out their plots. The price will be exact from TRI deep inside Iran in the heart of Tehran. So this is very interesting because... Um, as the Iranian regime continues to try to put together their nuclear program to get closer. We know the alliance that Iran has with North Korea, again with China. So Iran could easily get uh, nuclear weapons from those nations, those rogue nations. But they are also right now uh, arming and giving drones and assistance to Russia in the war with Ukraine. So Iran is helping out Russia, and Iran is going to want that help back, right? You scratch my back, I'm going to scratch your back. Or I scratch your back, you got to scratch my back. And then, look at this. Uh, let's go to the Zero Hedge article, please, Drya. Russia doubled tank and... Um, ammo production despite the sanctions. Um, Western officials also believe Russia is on a track to produce 2 million artillery, sh artillery shells per year, twice the amount they estimated they could, they, uh, Russia could make before the war. Uh, again, part of this article talks about their, their, their uh, connection or alliance with Iran and getting, in, getting um, some of their supplies from Iran. Now, this is so sickening. At the same time this is happening, right? Let's go to this uh, Washington Stan article, please, Drya. The number one terrorist state, the Iranian regime, the number one terrorist state in the world, um, Biden uh, declares on 9-11, when we have evidence, as I mentioned Tuesday on the show, that Iran was at least funneling the 19 Islamic terrorists through from Saudi to Iran to America. Uh, number one terrorist state. Go ahead and bring this up, please. Biden frees up $6 billion for the Iranian regime. He announced this on Monday on 9-11. Can't believe the timing of this. That, he, that $6 billion of frozen Iranian money uh, would be released in, in order to release five Iranian-American citizens held in, the, uh, held, um, in Iran. And, um, but yet, you have to understand, they were released out of prison, but not out of Iran. They're still under house arrest in Iran, which means nothing. But you think this $6 billion is going to go for, um, I don't know, for the people of Iran? No. This is sickening. This is the same regime that killed 15,000 of their own people for rioting in the streets before uh, Soleimani was killed. This is the same regime, of course, that took 52 American 
hostages for 444 days. This is the same regime that was given 150 billion uh, from Obama and cash. None of that went to the people. The people are starving. The people are dying. The people have no, uh, the inflation has gone up so badly. Literally, it's a day's wage to buy bread. This money is going to uh, line and, and fund Hezbollah, their proxies, ISIS, every proxy that Iran works with. And this corrupt administration in America releases that money. Here's another article uh, from Jihad Watch that, that uh, speaks of this. Uh, let's bring that up, please, Jariah. As U.S. sends Iran $6 billion, Khomeini, the supreme leader, celebrates the U.S. decline and its weakness. Here's what he said. Leader of the Islamic Revolution Ayatollah Sayyid Ali Khamenei said the world is on the threshold or the beginning of a transformation which includes the weakening of the arrogant powers. The arrogant power of America and some European countries has weakened and will become weaker. He said in a meeting with thousands of people from the provinces of Sistan, uh, Baluchistan and South uh, Khorasan in Tehran. Our information tells us the American government has created a crisis group with the mission to search for the points which they think can be used to provoke a crisis in Iran. With contemplation and study, they have concluded that there are several crisis points in Iran, uh, ethnic differences, religious differences, and the issue of gender and women. Um, but this is America's program, but camels dream of, of cotton seeds, using a famous Persian proverb. The enemy is serious in his enmity and planning, but we are also very serious in confronting the enemy. And uh, he goes on. So, um, again, sickening, sickening, sickening. Uh, and, and we got to keep an eye. We will keep an eye on this allegiance. But this is really uh, incredible timing. And the reason I bring this up is because uh, I want to go back to this time frame. I want to go back to this time frame of the last days. Because part of the prophecy understanding and I'll probably try to do more of a teaching on this in one of my next prophecy updates that I do here, here locally in East Tennessee that we live stream. I want to, I want to um, really unpack this because um, here's the question. How long do the last days last? And as I said to you earlier, uh, there are at least 17, or there's at least 18 references in the Bible to last days or latter days or the end of the age. And we have, of course, Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost, quoting Joel chapter 2, right? That it shall be in the last days that I will pour, out, pour forth my spirit upon all mankind. So that's where it begins. So we know from Acts chapter 2 that that began where? The Apostle Peter quotes Joel chapter 2 in Acts chapter 2 at the outpouring of the spirit at Shavuot or Pentecost. Now, if you're not familiar with the seven feasts of the Lord, right? There are seven feasts of the Lord. And let me uh, go to that article here. Um, can you actually bring up, please, the article, The Feast of Trumpets and the Rapture? This is an interesting article that is in The Harbinger by Oliver Melnick. I know Oliver. I've spoken with him before. Um, and it's talking about, go ahead and bring this up. It's talking about that there are seven feasts. The, there are three spring, spring free feasts. Um, 
uh, three fall feasts and one in the middle. The three spring feasts are Pesach or Passover. You can go ahead and come back to me, please, dry up. Then first fruits. Then the, uh, the uh, or I, I, hold on. Uh, why did he miss unleavened bread? Uh, Pesach or Passover. Then the feast of unleavened bread. That's the second one. Then the feast of first fruits. That's the third of the feast. Then the fourth, fourth feast is called Shavuot. Um, and that is where Pentecost happens. So the first feast, Pesach, is Passover. We know that Jesus is the Passover lamb. The second feast is unleavened bread. We know that Jesus was buried in haste like unleavened bread. The third feast is the first feast of first fruits, the first fruits of what's to come. We know Jesus is the first fruits for um, uh, the resurrection, for new life, for new creation. Uh, we, are, we are part of that first fruits. He is the, uh, Adam was the son of death. Jesus is the son of life. Then the fourth feast was at the outpouring of the Spirit on Shavuot, the counting of the Omers, 50 days from uh, Passover to Shavuot. That is now where, because of Acts chapter 2, we're directly told, is where the Spirit is poured out. Acts chapter 2, 14 to 17. So that begins, that kicks off the last days. The question is, how long is the last days? And I was reading an article that I agree with in that you can make a good argument that the history... Now, this ministry, folks, is coming from a young earth creation standpoint. Meaning, we believe that seven days in the book of Genesis were literal days. They're not thousands of years days. They're not unknown time frames. We believe that once God started creation, these are literal seven-day periods. Just like the seven days, you work six, rest one. Right? God created on six, rested on the seventh day, literal days, as we're told in the Ten Commandments, uh, for the observing of the Sabbath. So, using the premise that there are seven days, and we know in the Bible, let me go to this verse, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, that with the Lord a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. He says, but do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. And we know that the number seven is significant in God's timing. Seven churches, seven uh, days of creation. Uh, this is God's uh, number of completion. The seven churches of Revelation, the seven days of creation, the seven-year tribulation to bring to end, to bring to completion, to bring to fruition. And so if a thousand years is like a day and a day is like a thousand years, that means that the timing of God from the beginning of creation until the time that he sets up um, the heaven on earth would, could potentially mirror, human history could mirror because we believe in young earth creation. I don't believe that man has been around for millions of years. I don't believe, obviously we don't believe in evolution, but we don't even believe in old earth creation theory or in um, what's called um, uh, 
Uh, it's escaping me for a second. I'll come back to me in a minute. But uh, uh, it, it's the idea that, um, oh, theistic evolution, the idea that God had a, uh, that, that there was a Big Bang, that there was, uh, uh, you know, the Big Bang started things off. Uh, God um, had sort of a loose hand in, in, a, in, in, in creation, and then evolution kicked in. So they support a lot of what, what um, uh, ev evolution teaches, Christians do, by coming up with this idea that, uh, that life has been on earth for, thousands, for, for, for millions of years, preceding even the biblical narrative of the, uh, of the account of creation. Because we know that there was no death, according to the Bible, there was no death before the first death in the garden. No death had occurred. It was perfect. God's creation was perfect. To say that there was life for millions of years and that life preceded humans on the earth is to directly refute the book of Genesis, is to directly refute the creation account and the fall of man. Because sin enters at the fall of man and death enters because of sin. And that's why the very first death is when God has to sacrifice animals to clothe Adam and Eve in the garden when they had what? They were ashamed because now they're naked because they had partaken of the fruit that they were not supposed to partake. They now have the knowledge of good and evil and now they must be banished from the garden and death enters, toil enters, the curse enters, there was no death before that. If there was already life on earth, dinosaurs and fossils before the creation account, that means there was already death. Things were dying. Things were decaying. It completely destroys the narrative. So we believe in young earth. We believe that human history approximately is 6,000 years. If you go back and you look at the dating of the, the, um, the genealogy of Jesus, I believe that, um, that, that it dates back from the time of Jesus back to the time of Adam. If you count those generations, if you give a, 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 a general time frame to those, gen to those generational time, uh, windows, it goes back approximately 4,000 years. Now again, as I said, seven is God's number for com completion. Um, anything that's divisible by seven, seven, 14, 21, 49, 70, like the 70 uh, years of captivity, uh, the uh, 77s in Daniel uh, chapter nine, and 7,000. This is God's number of completion. Now, let's bring up the first image, please, Drya. That is, uh, no, that one, yes, please. Okay, so here is a hypothesis, okay? I'm not saying this is gospel fact. Here's the hypothesis, and then we're going to keep this up for a, a bit dry, okay? So if you look at this image, from the time of creation and the time of Adam till the time of, the, of, of Jesus coming to earth, okay, there's approximately 4,000 years of human history, recorded history. Again, we know from genealogy going back to the, 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 the lineage of, from, from Jesus' time frame to, the, to Adam, you can account for generations that are approximately 4,000 years, approximately. Now, from the time of the 
to the, of the coming of the Messiah and the moment of Jesus' ministry being fulfilled and him departing, the Holy Spirit coming and the outpouring of the Spirit, it kicked off the last days. Now, if you follow this narrative of the last days, it also then includes a literal thousand-year reign period. That is part of the last days before the new heavens and the new earth come. So you see on the screen there that in order, if you believe that um, a year is like, uh, a, a day is like a thousand years, a thousand years like a day, as 2 Peter 3 says, then if seven days were used to fulfill creation, the, God's perfect number, then 7,000 years could be used to usher in the totality of God's dealing with man, including his millennial reign. So 2,000 years of the church age, the dispensation for the church, would be coming to end soon. Let's go back to me for a second, please, dry up. Um, let, me, let, me, let me look at this and let me share this with you here. Um, in John chapter 4, in John chapter 4, here is why we're making the assertion that the church age could be approximately 2,000 years, okay? Because if we've already had 4,000 and we, and we have a 1,000-year literal reign for the millennial, that leaves 2,000, right? So seven days, 7,000 years. So here's what he says in John 4. So when the Samaritans or the non-Jews came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with them and he stayed there two days. After two days, he went forth from there into Galilee to return to the Jews. So the premise here is, could this be referring to the fact, if you look at a prophecy aspect, of course that literally happened, but if you look at a future prophecy aspect, that he was with the non-Jews for two days and then for the third day, he went back to the Jews. He went back to his people. So the premise is that he was with the non-Jews or the church, the Gentiles, for two days and then he goes back and he then sets up the thousand-year reign which will usher in his kingdom. Where? Where is his kingdom going to be? In Jerusalem. Where is his headquarters going to be? In Israel with the Jewish people. And from there, he will rule and reign the, na the nations. He will then disperse land to the, tr to the 12 tribes of Israel in fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant, the land covenant of Abraham. Islam is a part of the tribulation. Islam is a part of the end times. Islam is not going to be destroyed, unlike what uh, uh, Sephardi says, because Sephardi makes the claim that once Islam is destroyed, then there will be a rise of power of this secular Antichrist uh, who will then come out of the revived Roman Empire. So I have and still continue to believe that there's a strong possibility that the Antichrist is going to come out of the Islamic world, the Assyrian. It's going to be the Islamic Mahdi, the Messiah, their, their Messiah. Um, I think that's a very strong possibility. Uh, I don't believe it's going to be secular. If it's not uh, from the Islamic world, it certainly will be somebody that's going to placate to the Muslims. Now, will Islam be weakened by the Ezekiel 38-39 war? Sure. 
It may be weakened, but it's not going to be done away with because, again, they're going to have co-worship on the Temple Mount. I believe the Temple Mount will be shared um, because they're going to worship the supposed God of Abraham, the Muslims, the Jews, uh, whoever's left. So that's a premise, but regardless of, of, of the time frame or, or, or the players, I should say, within the tri tribulation, we know there's going to be two beasts. We know that first beast is the Antichrist. We know the second beast is a false prophet or false religious system that looks like a lamb. So there's going to be some version of Christianity, uh, some version of a corrupted Christianity, corrupted Judaism, and then Islam. And that's the premise that I bring forth in my One World Religion DVD that I mentioned earlier in the show. Um, and of course, the Jews are getting ready for the third temple. Let's go to another headline. This is interesting because, again, when you look at the conglomeration of the globalism, one world government, one world economy, uh, transhumanism, all this push for digital technology, digital currency, digital ID, what is one of the things they're also doing? They're trying to destroy our, de our dependency on God. They're trying to destroy our bodies. They're trying to depopulate. Here's one more. Look at this. You, can, you, you, you can't make this up. Uh, let's go to the lab-grown meat out of Israeli 365 News. Will lab-grown meat be brought to the third temple as an animal sacrifice? According to this article, the Union of Orthodox Rabbis, the world's largest organization for certifying food as kosher, announced on Wednesday that it has granted certification to Supermeat, an Israeli startup company working to develop, quote, a meal-ready chicken-cultured meat product created from the use of cell culture. This collaboration aims to bridge the gap between scientific understanding and halachic adjudication, uh, setting unprecedented standards in the cultivation of meat industry, said Rabbi Menachem Genach, CEO of OU Kosher. So what are they, what are they saying they're going to do? They're saying that now it is kosher for them to use lab-grown meat as an alternative for vegetarians and vegans uh, because supposedly it's more eco-friendly and super meats uh, uh, takes chicken cells from a fertilized egg, plants them in a meat fermenter, providing the cells with warmth, oxygen, and nutrition uh, with a plant-based liquid diet. The cells mature into meat tissue as they would in a chicken's body. The meat grows rapidly with its mass doubling in a matter of hours. The company says when the meat's ready, it's harvested. Oh, wow. Doesn't, sound that, doesn't that sound yummy? I'm being facetious, of course. So we are seeing, my goodness, in these last days, these crazy things. Did you ever think that you would see the, that lab-grown meat would be declared kosher, kosher by the rabbis, by this, these rabbinical uh, Talmudic rabbis? This is anti-Torah, by the way. I believe this is a violation of the Old Testament and the um, Levitical law that Jews believe they're still under because they're not under the New Testament. They're not under the, the New Covenant if they've rejected the Messiah. So that's very, very interesting uh, lining up. But the fall feasts are coming up. The fall feasts are prophetic. And the one that's coming up right away in the fall feast, by the way, which I forgot to cover, is uh, there's three. Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and Sukkot. Rosh Hashanah is the Feast of Trumpets. Then Yom Kippur is the Feast of Atonement, and then Sukkot is the Feast of Tabernacles or the Gathering. 
the first, the first four feasts, uh, Passover, unleavened, first fruits, and outpouring or Shavuot were all fulfilled by Jesus and, and or by the Holy Spirit. That means the fall, the fall feast have yet to be fulfilled, and I believe they'll be fulfilled not at the, obviously, at the first coming, Jesus fulfilled those. They're going to be fulfilled at the second coming. And what is coming up this Friday, September 15th, tomorrow? It's the beginning of, um, of Rosh Hashanah, or the Feast of Trumpets. It is going to be the blowing of the trumpets. And uh, Sunday night at our house church First house church service, we are going to be blowing the shofar uh, as the significance, as a remembrance that the feasts of God are called Moed or Moen, meaning in the Hebrew that these are divine appointments. As God, listen, the second coming, the first coming of Jesus was timed, was timed his life, his death. His burial, his resurrection were timed with the spring feast. So why would it not then be common sense that his second coming would be timed? What's the, what's the part of the second coming? What is the sign? The last trumpet, right? The sounding of the last trump. And, and then the day of atonement comes for the world. And then what? The ingathering. The thousand-year reign will be the beginning of the ingathering. He will gather all the nations together in Israel. And they will worship him as king of kings and lord of lords. That's what we have to look forward to. And this fall is an incredible timing here, 2023, because, uh, Dry, let's go to that image from the UN. Remember, the UN has announced that they are starting their seven-year plan. I'll come back to that in a minute. They're starting their seven-year plan. Seven year again, significant. They want to start this this fall, or, or at least they want to accelerate it. And they say, we have a seven year plan. So then let's, let's go finally to that image real quick, Jariah, of those last days. So in my opinion, this could fit. Here's another way of looking at those seven years or seven days. That each year is a thousand, each day is, a, is like a thousand years. And so God saying seven days to fulfill his creation could also be seven days to fulfill his time before his atonement. So 4,000 have already been fulfilled before the coming of Christ and the birth of the church. The last days were kicked off with the final two, with the 2,000. We have 1,000 waiting to go. And if you go based upon the timing of Jesus' ministry, the timing of the outpouring of the Spirit, we're talking sometime A.D. 33, 34, when he was... Uh, uh, crucified, buried, raised from the dead, and ascended. They waited in Jerusalem. The outpouring of the Spirit came. That means that if it's going to be 2,000 years, we are coming up on A.D. 33, or, or uh, 2033 and 2034. It's coming up as the timing for the millennial reign. Work backwards from that time frame. You have a seven-year tribulation, that could mean the tribulation could start any minute or it could be in two or three years. But the bottom line is, if you follow that logic, if that's a possibility, oh boy, we are that close to the beginning of the tribulation and we are that close 
to the end of the 2,000 years of, of the church age and the beginning of the millennial reign, which must happen at the end of the tribulation, correct? Exciting days, folks. This is a prophecy alert. This is a prophecy update. Things are lining up. The puzzle pieces are falling into place. It's incredible. Get ready. Be bold with your faith. Take the gospel out to the ends of the earth. Uh, one more headline, good news. Uh, we talked about Tuesday, this unconstitutional uh, craziness from the governor in New Mexico. Judge blocks um, New Mexico's unconstitutional gun ban. So that's a little bit of good news. A federal judge is blocking the, 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 the governor of New Mexico's insane, unconstitutional um, temporary uh, you know, executive order. So we'll see where that ends up going, but that's at least a little bit of good news. All right, we got to go. I want to encourage you to uh, visit our website, tillministry.com. Also, please visit our uh, website for the new church. Remember, we launched our new, we're launching our new church. Truth and Love Church is relaunching. We're going to start in our, in our house. We're launching a house church network, which we'll be uh, having more information on. We are working on that as we speak. Uh, we're going to start here in East Tennessee. Lord willing, by November, we'll have our public services for corporate prayer, corporate worship, corporate teaching. Uh, that will be uh, starting, Lord willing, sometime in November. But in the meantime, we're starting in the house church. And then we're prayerfully going to develop house churches here in East Tennessee. And we've already gotten dozens and dozens of emails from people across the country saying, we, I want to start a house church in my area. We don't have churches we can go to. How do we do that? How do we come under the covering of, of Truth and Love Ministry? We, are, we have more information on that website, tillministry.com slash church. There's a, a, a web form you can fill out if you're interested in that. Please do that. We're putting that together. We're putting a team together. We're excited for what God's doing. And we believe the house churches are going to be critical to prepare for these last days. Folks, if we're that close to the tribulation, we're going to have increased persecution. We know persecution is going to increase in the last days. So we got to get ready. We got to have a mode where the church can be autonomous and, and, and thrive and survive, even if it has to go underground, even here in America. Don't forget that during COVID, they shut down the churches. Don't forget they made us criminals and they, they, they deemed the church unessential. It already happened. It'll happen again as they're ramping up for COVID 2.0. So please check that out. And if you want to donate uh, to both the church and our ministry, please go to our donate page, uh, tillministry.com uh, slash donate, tillministry.com slash donate. Perfectly consider a one-time donation, uh, one-time donation to the ministry or a monthly donation with our Gideon Army. Uh, we have our mailing address on that page. You can mail it to P.O. Box 4523, Maryville, Tennessee, 37802. 4523, Maryville, Tennessee, 37802. Please make all checks out to Truth and Love. And if you want to designate it for the church, on the memo line, put it for the church as a seed for this church plant. We need your support. We need your help. We need you to seed in so we can launch our church here. We have nobody else is helping us, folks. Nobody else is launching us. There's not another ministry launching us. We are trusting in God and stepping out of faith. This is Pastor Sharam Hadian. Uh, sorry we went a little bit late tonight. Thank you for joining us. God bless you. We'll see you back next Tuesday live in studio at 12 o'clock noon Eastern time. Have a blessed weekend.